Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25, continuing through our series in David. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Are you ready for story time? Because we're going to read a big big passage of Scripture, okay? Uh, Two ways to do this. I could have just like read kind of a pivotal part and then told you the story. Um, but I thought it'd be better if we let the Holy Spirit do that in the Word. And so we'll go ahead and read the whole text, long story, just hang in there, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll come back and we're going to work through this uh, talking about preventing grace, okay? Here we go. Chapter 25, beginning uh, kind of end of verse 1. Then David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, and so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shears, now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who's David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. Okay? Play a little kind of uh, adventure music right there in your minds, Okay? Every man strapped on his sword. Dun, 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 you know. okay. And every man strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when they were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Know, therefore, that this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste. She took a hundred loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seas of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on the donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. She did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came under the cover of a mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. And David said, David, and now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell down before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. 
For as is his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now, then, my Lord, as the Lord lives. Okay, it gets confusing here. Okay, Abigail is referring to David as my Lord in the sense of an honored man. Okay, uh, a, a man of dignity, a master. Notice the Lord is the Lord God. Okay, big L versus little L. Okay, verse 26. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be his neighbor. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men that follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living, and then the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies shall be slung out as as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he's spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pain of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to me this day. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you who kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she brought up, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed your voice, and I've granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal. And behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was drunk. So she told him nothing at all until morning. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him and became as a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent, spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. Father, we need your help uh, this morning, God, to understand the scriptures. Father, we're so thankful for your grace. God, we are in constant need of it. Every day, God, we need your grace. We need your truth. God, we need your restraining hand on our life so so that, God, we don't fall into sin. And God, I thank you for those people, and I pray that we would be those people who turn others back from sin through the word of God, through the promises of God. Father, make us, give us a ministry like Abigail. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, what do we got here? Well, we got Nabal. What do we know about Nabal? Well, he's a rich guy, 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. Uh, However, his character is lacking, right? Verse 3 says he's a harsh man. He's badly behaved. Uh, Verse 17 says he's worthless. He can't be reasoned with. His own wife uh, says that just as his name indicates, he's full of folly. He's a foolish guy, okay? What do we know about Abigail? Well, Uh, We know that she is discerning. We know that she's beautiful. Verse 3 tells us that. She's a godly lady, okay? She's she's on track. Now, 
How did that happen? How'd that happen, huh? How'd that happen? You got a, a, a godly, discerning, wise lady and a foolish guy. We got no idea how that happened. It's just really kind of a sad deal, isn't it? I mean, maybe uh, Abigail's folks, uh, maybe they had money on their mind. Uh, maybe they really wanted their best for their little girl, uh, but they weren't thinking character. They weren't thinking godliness. They were thinking bucks, which enabled had a bunch of those. Uh, maybe she didn't have parents. I don't know. Maybe maybe she just made a bad decision. Maybe Nabal uh, really did a good job of pretending to be somebody he, he wasn't. But for whatever, whatever the reason was, Abigail finds herself in a less than ideal situation being married to a fool. Man, marriage is a big deal, isn't it? You know, when you think about what the Bible says about our connection to people, you know, Proverbs 13, 20 uh, says, uh, uh, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Man, how much more is that ramped up when, when the companion is your spouse, you know? Uh, when you've, you've intertwined your life and your kids and your money and your house and your, your business and everything. Well, that's really the situation that Abigail finds herself in in being married to a guy that's evil, he's ungodly, he's, he's foolish, Okay. So we pick up the story in sheep shearing time, okay? So think payday. Think payday, all right? Nabal's shearing a sheep, getting the wool. They're going to sell the wool. This is their industry. This is their business. They've got hired workers that have come in plus their own, their own guys, and everybody's getting paid, big feast. You'll notice he's throwing a big party, celebration time. And so it was customary that the folks that might receive some of the benefit of Nabal's harvest would come and be there and participate in that. Now, David, though not an official employee of, of Nabal, has, has been really working to protect Nabal. If you remember from, from our story, Saul has been persecuting David. He's been trying to kill David. He's got David on the run. He's got a murderous heart. He's a wicked man. This is King Saul. And so David has had to flee from Jerusalem, free, flee from Israel to kind of the outskirts, okay? But, but, but he's still as a godly man. He's still trying to do the work of the Lord. So he's serving kind of as border control. Okay, that's what you need to think of David. He's serving as kind of border control. We saw this a couple weeks ago when he saves the city Kilah from the Philistines. Remember, they have all these marauding bands coming in, taking what they want. That's kind of the, the situation of that day. And so David is serving the Lord in the capacity he can by being kind of border control. And, and it's worked. I mean, did you hear what the shepherds said about him? They said, man, this, these guys have been a wall to us. They've protected us. They've kept away invaders. They've kept away harm. We have thrived. We have a great harvest because David and his men, we followed them. We stayed with them. Okay, so they, he, he's, he's done a great service uh, to Nabal and to his shepherds, to his employees. However, when he comes to receive a gift to share in the abundance of Nabal's harvest, what, what happens there? Verse 10, Nabal says, basically, you're a nobody. I don't know. I don't know who you are, which was a lie. He knows exactly who David is. Okay, uh, but basically, he's he's just he's insulting him. He's saying, "Hey, I don't I don't owe you nothing. You know, I, I don't owe you anything. You're nobody. You're of no consequence." This guy really is not very wise. Okay, Abigail knows. Everybody else knows. David's going to be the next king of Israel. I mean, basically, what Nabal just did was to insult the most powerful military force in the region. He's just basically slapped the king of Israel, the next king of Israel, as being worthless. He, he's verbally insulted the people that have been protecting him, okay? So he, he really is foolish. So the ten guys take the word back to David. Hey, here's what he said. 
And David's response is, every man strap on his sword. Now, we don't have to explain that, do we? Right? He's not going for a card party, is he? No. He, he's got vengeance and blood on his mind, doesn't he? You got 400 guys coming with their swords drawn. That's not a good deal for you, right? That, that's not a good sign, all right? Dave, David is angry. He's insulted. And he's going to go settle the score with Nabal. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. Were you here last week? Who's here last week? You here last week? The entire sermon last week was on chapter 24 and was David's Christ-like example of not taking your own vengeance, right? I mean, that was the whole of chapter 24. I mean, chapter 24 is this beautiful picture of, 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 of David being chased by Saul, being hunted down by Saul, this murderous guy who's murdered David's friends. And when David has the opportunity, it's right in front of him to settle the score, to take his own vengeance, to end this thing, he won't do it. He won't do it. Remember that? All of his guys were like, what are you doing? God's put him right here. Kill him. It's all over. And David's like, you know what? We're not, we're not going to take our own vengeance. We're not, the, we're not those kind of guys. We're trusting the Lord. We're going to put this in the Lord's hands. The next chapter, that was 24. The next one, we're in 25, but the next one after that is 26. Okay, In 26, he gets another opportunity to kill Saul. Saul still comes after him. Saul's still trying to murder him. And David and, and Abishai go down into the camp of Saul, and, and, and they're standing right by him. Saul's sleeping on the ground. And Abishai just says, David, please just step aside and I will stick him to the ground. One shot, David. It's it. It's over. David won't let him do it. He won't let him do it. He said, no, we're not, we're not going to take this into our own hands. The Lord is going to do it. The Lord will take care of it. Vengeance is not ours. Vengeance is the Lord's. Wow. Two incredible examples in 24 and 26 of David being the kind of guy who trusts the Lord when he is insulted, when he's attacked, when he's offended. What happened here in chapter 25? Chapter 25, a farmer insults him, and he literally is going to kill everybody in his family. What do you think? Spiritual schizophrenia or uh, spiritual uh, identity disorder, you know, Jekyll Hyde here. What do we got? What's going on? Okay, it's time for a little honesty. We all can be just like that, can't we? You ever hit a home run spiritually? You know, you ever, you ever, you ever in here and you're singing with Bonnie and you're, you know, victory in Jesus. And you're even thinking to yourself, man, I sound awesome. You know, this is, this is so good. God is so good. You know, man, victory in Jesus. And you walk out and you get in the minivan. And your kid's got a juice box from Children's Church. He squirts it all over the floor. And all of a sudden, no more victory in Jesus, right? All of a sudden, and you, you find yourself saying, man, did I just go to church? All right, here's the theological truth, okay? Here, here's, here's the theological basis behind what's, what's the deal with David in chapter 25. What the deal is, is that you and I are constantly in need of dependence upon Jesus. You can't do anything spiritually valuable without being connected in continual faith dependence upon Jesus. 
I'm not the one who said that, by the way. That was Jesus who said that. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, okay? But apart from me, see that last part? You can do nothing apart from me, okay? And so we're all actually in that boat. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, okay? Guess what? Church Sunday morning is not where you get your tank filled up and then you ride out the rest of the week on a full tank, okay? No, 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 no. You got to keep the pump hooked up, all right? I mean, that's the only way that we, that we, that we live out and glorify God in our daily life is continual, continual obedience to Jesus, continual dependence, continual looking to God, always, okay? We, we can't disconnect from that and expect good things to happen when we disconnect from God, when, when we're not trusting Him, when we're not following Him, when we're not, we're not thinking, we're not, we're, not, we're not trusting. We are capable of all kinds of rotten stuff, okay? Examples in Scripture, lots of them. Elijah, remember him on, the Mount, on Mount Carmel? Man, one of the greatest examples of biblical courage in the Bible. I mean, here's a guy that takes on 450 prophets of Baal, and, and, and he's like, man, God, my God's going to bring fire from heaven and, to, and consume the sacrifice. And indeed, he calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, slays 450 prophets of Baal. Not, not 12 hours later, he's in his house, gets a, a note from Jezebel, Hey, tomorrow, by this time, you're a dead man. And the guy falls apart. He runs out of the wilderness. Remember this? Sits under a tree. Says, God, I'm done. He quits the ministry. (laughs) This is a guy who just called down fire from heaven, okay? Peter. Peter is a great example of this, actually. I mean, bad, but great. You know, I mean, Garden of Gethsemane. He's so sleepy, he can't pray, right? So sleepy, he can't pray. He goes from there to Jesus gets arrested. The guards come in. They, they, they get Jesus. All of a sudden, he's Zorro, right? I mean, he's cutting off ears, you know? I mean, he's bold and, you know, misguided, but bold, right? He goes from that to two hours later, he's confronted by a servant girl in the courtyard, and he won't even admit that he knows Jesus. We got to be constantly dependent upon Christ. I'm really thankful for this passage. I'm thankful for 2 Samuel 12, which is coming, you know, 11 and 12, where David really messes up. Because we, we, we would, if we didn't have those, we'd almost be tempted to think like David's a superhero, you know? He's just kind of flying above, and God's just giving him this special ability to never mess up. Man, he is just like you and I. When we take our eyes off Jesus... When we're not depending and trusting on the shed blood of Christ and the Spirit of God in our lives and the Word of God, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fall. We're going to fall. Okay? So, David goes from great victory in chapter 24 spiritually to almost derailing his spiritual life in chapter 25. Now, why do I say almost? Okay? He's got murderous intent in his heart, but guess what? He doesn't murder. Okay? He's got murderous intent in his heart, but he, he doesn't follow through with it. He doesn't hurt anybody. He doesn't kill anybody. There's not even a verbal confrontation between him and Nabal. He gets through this thing. How does he get through this thing? The grace of God. Okay? The grace of God, and the grace of God gets to David through a lady named Abigail. 
You know, if you know your New Testament, you know that we get grace, right? You, you, you know what grace is, right? Grace is God's riches. It's, it's, it's what you need to, 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 to be the people that God's called you to be, okay? It's, it's God's resources given to you to be, enable you to be in a relationship with, with Him, okay? And we need grace, okay? And grace comes through the Word of God. Grace comes from the Holy Spirit. Grace comes from prayer. Grace comes from all kinds of means. But one of the means it comes from is other people. 1 Peter 4.10 talks about that we, uh, as we use our gifts, as we speak truth to one another, are our, our ministers, our stewards of the grace of God. All right? and, and so David, David is saved by the grace of God coming through this lady named Abigail. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, um, he, called, uh, he, called, he coined a phrase called preventing grace. Preventing, not preventing grace, but I would almost say preventative grace. That's what I would call it. But I think, you know, 1800s, maybe they spoke a little differently. Um, but, but here's what he meant by that. What he meant by that was grace that comes before you blow it, not after you blow it. Okay? Now, I'm thankful for grace that comes after I blow it, right? Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, I'm thankful for, you know, when, whenever we have fallen into sin, um, that God is just not done with us, but rather we can, we can repent of our sin, put our faith in Christ, confess our sin, and be restored, okay? So the Bible talks a lot about helping people, kind of being a cleanup crew, right? Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, right? Uh, James chapter 5, Verse 19 and 20, my brothers, if any month among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Man, I'm thankful for that ministry. I'm thankful for you all that, that you're, you're, you're willing. I've seen you do this. You're willing. When, when your brother or sister falls, when, when, when they mess up, when they're in sin, you're willing to go to them and pray with them and speak truth to them and encourage them and bring them back, you know, to the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. But how much better would it be if we do that before they fall? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better to, to, to get there before they fall into sin, before they blow up, before they make a mess of their life? Man, that's what I want. Man, I want people intervening and speaking truth into my life and being an instrument of the Spirit of God before I go down the wrong path. I mean, which is better? Which, which kind of friend do you want to be? Do you want to be the friend that after your buddy falls off the cliff, you know, 200 feet, and he's there dashed on the rocks, you know, you run up with bandages and, and, and rags, and you start, you know, Helping him with hemorrhaging and, and putting pressure on the on the on the on the cuts and the bleeding and and calling the ambulance and helping him on the stretcher. That's a good friend. But boy, I really love that friend that as I'm about to go comes up and grabs me by the back of the jacket and jerks me back so I don't fall. You know, I mean that. What a ministry is that? To be that in other people's life. That's the ministry of Abigail. Abigail hears. She hears about what her husband just did. And she knows this is bad. Hey, my husband, he doesn't love God. He doesn't follow God. Ah, he's, he's spoken this thing to David. This is going to be bad for our family. She knows, she, she anticipates somehow, she knows, you know what? David's probably not going to handle this well. He's going to be offended. He's going to be angry. He's going to sin. His sin, my husband's sin. This is going, this is going to result in, in my family being harmed. Now, if we at Lincoln Avenue could rewrite this story, wouldn't it be better if Nabal led his family out of sin? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be better if Nabal, as the head of his family, would have said, you know what, that was really stupid. 
uh, man, that was a sin. I shouldn't have spoke to those guys like that. You know, David is God's anointed. I know that. Uh, man, let me go see if I can make this right. Man, wouldn't that have been awesome? That's not what happened. Nabal wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to do that. And so here, here Abigail has to step in. Now, now, some of you might be thinking, you know, you've heard us talk a lot about men taking, taking responsibility in their families. And some of you might be thinking, man, this lady just usurped her, her husband's authority. You know, she didn't tell her husband. She goes after and does this thing and comes back and then tells him afterward. You know, she overstepped her role. Here's, what's, here's the reality, guys. There are, there are times when, when people won't do the right thing. We've got to step in. We've got to step in and lead, especially when, when, when the consequences of sin are very serious, okay? Now, I walked through this with my girls. My, my two older girls are home from college. And I said, all right, guys. I told them everything I was going to say. I'm sorry, did I, did I make this clear? Because here's what I don't want. I don't, I don't want the ladies at Lincoln Avenue saying, all right, Abigail's my example. Whenever I disagree with my husband, she's my example to go behind his back, you know? And so it's like, it'd, be, it'd kind of go like this, you know? Hey, hey, honey, let's take the kids to the circus. No, no, we don't have enough money for that. I'd be like, Abigail, Abigail, come on, kids. You know, let's go. You know, don't tell your dad, you know? And, and when he comes back, it's like, hey, Abigail didn't mind. All right, listen, we're not talking about the circus. David's going to kill them all. I mean, her children are going to die. All right, there, there are times when when people don't do the right thing and sin is going to have consequences in our lives, other people got to step in. Other people got to step up. Okay? It's not what we strive for. We, we, we would like for the right people to, to be there and, and protect their family and be that. But Nabal's not doing that. In fact, what is Nabal doing? Did, did you notice the contrast here? Abigail is stepping out immediately in initiative to, to try to cut... cut you know, get in front of the, the, the wrath that's coming. You know what Nabal's doing? Verse 36. Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Man, what a picture. This guy's family is going down. They're going down the tubes because of his own sin. What's he doing? He's drinking beer and having a party with his buddies. So, David and 400 men are about to wipe out Nabal's family. Abigail, it says, was discerning. Lord, help us be that. I, I, don't, I don't know how to teach you to do this, really, other than soak your mind in the Scriptures, soak your mind in prayer, and stay con- connected to people. But, man, I, I pray that God would enable me to be discerning. You, you know what discerning is, right? That's when, that's when you're, you're, you're aware of what's going on. Jesus called it staying awake. You know, man, I want to stay awake in my family. I, I, I want to be able to see when my kids start to veer off. I, I don't want to wait till they veered off, gone down the road and off the cliff and then be like, <gasps> got to intervene. No, 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 no. Man, Lord, help me. Help me to be the kind of dad. Help me to be the kind of pastor to you. Help me to be the kind of friend to you. I pray that you'd be the kind of friend to me, that, that we're close enough to one another and we're in tune with the Lord enough that when we, when we see people starting to veer off, that's when we jump in. We don't wait till they're at the bottom of the cliff. We, we, we jump in before. How do you do that? How do you do that? Because I want us to do that. I want us to be, I want, I want God's grace to flow through us to one another. So how do you do that? How do you confront people when they're starting to go the wrong direction in their life? Well, number one from Abigail you do it with great humility. 
This gal is such a pro at this. You notice what she does? She comes with a gift, okay? And I think part of that is righting the wrong done by her husband. But there's another part of that, that, that she, she disarms David, okay? When she sees him, what does she do? She gets off her donkey, verse 23, and she falls down on her face. You know what she's doing? She's handling very delicately what she's got she's to say to David. She's got to say some hard things to him here in just a minute. And so you know what she's doing? She's coming in humility. You know what Jesus told us? Jesus told us that confronting somebody about their sin, what, what, what do you liken it to? You, you guys have heard it. Matthew 7, remember? Judge not lest you be judged. And then he said if someone sees his brother, you know, with a speck in their eye, and they go, hey, let me remove that, but you got a two before in your own eye. You know, Jesus said, hey, you know what? Take the two before out of your own eye, right? Let, let, me, let, me, let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 7. He says, uh, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so first of all, come with great humility about your own sin, okay, about your own failings, but then also realize the metaphor there, you're doing eye surgery, right? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you pick around in somebody's eye, you know? You grab them, put them in a headlock, pull out your pliers, you know, is that what you do? Please, don't help me, Okay. Don't, don't help me. If that's the way you handle people, just call the ambulance for me, all right? But don't help me, okay? Because you're just going to make it worse, all right? When you do eye surgery, you're, you're incredibly careful with people, okay? Abigail does a beautiful job. You know what people who are angry and bitter and got sin in their heart, you know, you know what they don't need? They don't need somebody else who's angry and bitter with sin in their heart to try to help them, okay? They need somebody who is humble and full of grace and humility and self-control. Proverbs 15, 1. It's a verse to live by, man. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. A soft answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up strife. Man, some people in this situation would just escalate it, okay? Abigail immediately disarms it with her humility, okay? Now, I want you to notice this. This would have been hard for her. Don't think it's easy. Mama bears, if you know somebody's coming after you, your kids with a sword, what are you going to do? Man, I know some of you are going to be standing right in the middle of the trail with your hands on your hips and your pistol out, right? You know, you're going to be like, you're not coming to my house. How dare you? You big hypocrite. All this talk about turning the other cheek with Saul. You're nothing but, you know, pow, pow, pow. You know, that, that's she, all right? That's not Abigail. Man, she, she puts that stuff down in her and she comes humbly. Number two. Abigail articulates God's will for David and God's work in David. Immediately, she brings the Lord in this thing, okay? She, do, she doesn't mess around talking about the merits of, uh, of compensation for, uh, uh, for shepherds in the wilderness, okay? She didn't go that route. She immediately brings the Lord into this, and notice how she does it. Verse 26, Now then, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, okay, immediately, the Lord lives, capital L, Okay? As God Almighty lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. Hey, David, and I, I know what God's doing, and I know what God's doing in you. I, I want you to notice something really pretty here. Okay? I, I just love this. I've got, I've got friends like this, and, and I love this about them. They, she assumes David's obedience. Do you see that? 
as, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand. Basically, she says, David, I know what God's doing in your life, and, and, and I know what kind of man you are, and I know, I know you're going to listen to him. Man, I, I know God's going to keep you from sin. I know, I know you're not going to fall into sin, David. I know you're not going to fall into blood guilt. I know you're not going to take things in your own hands. She names the sins. I know the Lord is going to restrain you. Isn't that wise? Thirdly, she reminds David of his calling, of what battle he's really fighting. Notice in verse 28, uh, kind of in the middle of the verse, she says, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Okay, so the first thing she does, she brings the Lord in. Hey, I know what the Lord's doing. I know the Lord's gonna keep you from evil. I know you're not gonna sin against the Lord. And now she says, and I know, I know, David, God's got a call in your life. Man, God's using you. God's using you to fight his battles and and no evil is going to be found in you. You're going to keep yourself pure. She reminds him of who he is in Christ. Wouldn't it have been easy for her to point out, hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. No, no, no. She goes the other way. She says, man, I I know how God's going to use you. And I I know as he uses you, you, you're going to be pure of heart. She's really talking about 2 Timothy 2.20. Remember that? In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold, silver, but also wood, clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be like a vessel for honor, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. She's saying, David, man, I know you're a vessel. I know God's going to use you. You're a vessel of honor. And And I know that, and I know that, Evil is not going to be found in you. Fourthly, this is my favorite one. She reminds David of all the good things God's going to do for him. Okay? Notice verse, uh, verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord, David, a sure house. She's not talking about a you know, brick stucco home on the suburbs. She's talking about a kingdom. Okay? A kingdom. A sure house. Okay? He's going to make you a sure house, David, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. No evil should be found. Verse 29, if men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord David shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. David, I know God's going to take care of you. It doesn't matter who comes after you. It doesn't matter what he does to you. God's going to take care of you. And the lives of your enemies, end of verse 29, shall be slung out as the hollow of a sling. Man, God's going to take care of your enemies, David. Now notice verse 30. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good, man, David, God's got all this good he's going to do for you that he's spoken concerning you. And he's appointed you a prince over Israel. Man, don't we need to hear that? Do you see the beauty of that? Here's what she, essentially she says this. Yes, David, Nabal did not give you what you deserved. You did not get your lamb chops. You did not get the respect you reserved, deserved. Um, you lost out with Nabal. Yes, yes, I know that's true. But look at what God has given you. Look at what God's going to do for you. Man, look at, look at what the Lord God is going to do in your life. David, you're rich. It's hard to be cranky and bitter about small things when we are focused on the big things God's doing. Isn't that true? That, that offense that someone said to you that was totally unjustified and totally wrong, isn't that easier to swallow when your mind is not on that, but your mind is on 
how the king of the universe has loved you. And the riches he's poured out in Christ for you. Number five, finally. And and notice, notice, a lot of us would have started with this one. She ends with this one. Number five, verse 31. And my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pains of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. You know what she says? She reminds David, she reminds him of the pain and the regret that will come about if he carries out his sin. What a great truth. Man, how many of you need to hear that when you, your mind is all in a mess and you believe a lie and you're about ready to walk into sin? You know what we need to hear? We need to hear that. This is not going to end well. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care how you justify it. I don't care. It's not going to end well. It, sin can't end well. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will also reap. For the one who sows his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Corruption. That's what you get for your sin. But the one who sows the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Man, how helpful to have someone remind you in the midst of your temptation how bad you're going to regret this someday. Don't do it. Don't do it. Man, how does David handle this? How does he handle being preached to, basically, by a lady, by Abigail? Now, before we see how David handles it, let, can, can I just probe a little? How do you handle that? How do you handle it when uh, someone brings up your sin? you read the book of Proverbs, it's this huge deal between foolish and lost. Uh, I'm sorry, foolish and wise. Foolish and wise. That the fool is the kind of person who can't be corrected. They can't, they don't appreciate a rebuke. When someone points out their sin, they they don't respond to it. The wise man receives that as a blessing. So how does David handle it? Verse 32, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. Blessed be you. Three, three blessings. Three blessings in one sentence. That guy's worshiping, isn't he? Who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. How does David handle it? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Abigail. Praise God. Praise God that you you came. Praise God that you spoke truth to me. Praise God that you kept me from from soiling my life with this sin. Praise God. Isn't it interesting to... Both these guys are in sin, but interesting to, to contrast them. Remember what was said about Nabal, by his, his, his head guy, his shepherd? Verse 17... Therefore know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he's such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Man. Is that true of you? That's a dangerous position to be in. To be the kind of person that people around you know. Your kids know. Your wife knows. Guys at work know. Man, you can't, you can't confront that guy. 
His pride is at a higher level than his purity. He can't be spoken to. He can't humble himself. That's bad. How's how's the story end? Well, Nabal, Nabal sobers up. Abigail tells him what happened. She's not hiding anything from him. Tells him what he did, what she did. Verse thirty nine. When Nabal heard that, when David, I'm sorry, verse thirty seven. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him the things, and his heart died within him, and it became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Kind of what's interesting is chapter twenty four. David does the right thing. He leaves it in the hands of God. Chapter twenty five. Saul's still chasing him. He's still trying to kill him. Chapter 26, David does the right thing, leaves it in the hands of God. Chapter 27, Saul's still trying to kill him. You know, I mean, this goes on for on and on and on until, remember last week, the end of 1 Samuel, beginning of 2 Samuel, God finally brings David into the kingdom. But in chapter 25, David gets a little, a little encouragement that indeed, when you trust the Lord, God can take care of stuff better than you can take care of it. Just trust Him. Now, sometimes it's immediate, 10 days. That's what we all want, isn't it? You're all wanting the 10-dayer, right? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's years. Maybe a lifetime. I don't know. It's up to God. Can't we trust Him with that? But God will take care of it. God will take care of you. Now, here's a question. Are we going to take care of each other? Are we going to take care of each other? Are you going to be the kind of friend to me that you wait till I'm at the bottom of the cliff in three pieces? come help me? Are you going to be the kind of person that loves me enough to when I start going astray, you come humbly? Hopefully you come with a gift. That's not a bad idea at all. I mean, it really isn't. Come with a gift. You come humbly. You come pointing me to the Lord. You come affirming that, man, I know, Pastor Jason, you're going to do the right thing. Man, I, I know God's working in you. I know what God's called. You know, I know he's going to bless you. I hope you're that kind of friend to me. I want to be that kind of friend to you. I want to be used in that way in your life. And I hope you want to be used that way in my life and in, in your kids and your family in this church.